Blog Talk Radio. It's Monday night, and that means a new episode of Graphic Policy Radio. Today, a special time of 9 p.m. Uh, this is the show that dares to mix comics and politics and is perfect for a person that wonders what Alpha Flight thinks of Toronto Mayor Rob Ford. Uh, tonight, we're taking on a lot. Yeah, I got a laugh off of that one. Um, we're taking on a lot, uh, some good, some bad. Uh, actually, a bad on this episode. Uh, and to... To talk this thing, uh, I'm joined by my brilliant co-host, Anna. How are you doing? Uh, hello. It's been a really hard and depressing week for comic book fans, and women in particular. So, Yes. Yes, it has. So, um, <clears throat> I'm thinking we just dive right into it um, and get, uh, yeah. we'll tear the band-aid off and talk about the worst of the worst. Um so, I think it was last week that this kind of blew up, but it really kind of started a couple of weeks ago with a uh, blog post about um, harassment in women in the comic industry. Um, uh, it was first an anonymous post uh, quoting um, about her experiences in the industry, um, and then she spoke up and uh, decided to name names of uh, one particular bad actor, Brian Wood, who's someone who we have uh, uh, often talked about in a good way about uh, on the um, podcast about uh, his really solid writing. Um, she uh, has written, I might as well uh, give the whole thing, um, so at uh, San Diego Comic-Con a couple years, or some years ago, um, Brian Wood, who currently writes a bunch of titles, um, he was working professionally in the industry, and uh, Ms. Fowler was trying to uh, break in. Um, he started up a conversation with her, telling her what was, uh, that he was interested in her art, and that she should meet up with him in his hotel room um, so he could get to know her better. And she declined, and after, like, supposedly, according to her, the next day that uh, he kind of belittled her and then belittled her online through Facebook, um, that led to another person coming forward that said that uh, she had a similar experience, that uh, she met him at a drink-up in um, New York City, and that they went around, uh, walked around the block, and that he asked her to do... A certain sexual act in public in like an alleyway, um, and then um, had icky experiences in her own words um, later on in 2002 uh, with Wood as well um, at uh, when she was working at DC Comics, and um, a whole bunch of bad stuff happened there um, with him being generally a jackass. Uh, so yeah, so that kind of sums up the shittiness of the latest blow up about women treating, being treated horribly in the industry. You know, the thing is, what happened is something that happens in so many industries and, you know, it, it in no way surprises me, it in no way surprises me that, you know, this is something that women have experienced. It echoes something that happens to us in so many work situations and in industries where the primary people are men, which is a vast majority of them. What surprised me and like traumatized me is that it was Brian Wood of all people. Um, it is really, it's especially upsetting when it's someone who you would have thought of as being an ally. Um, not just because he's a writer whose work I really like, but because he's a writer who really seems to get it. This would not be, of course, the first time that men who have positioned themselves as allies to women or men who may even identify as feminists have also betrayed women and made it impossible for them to work and, like, wreck their, you know, wreck, wreck their situations. They, you know, in this year, in the progressive movement, like, there's plenty of guys who will talk all day long about how great they feminists they are and how they view women as equal who don't actually live like that in their lives. Um, but... You know, my initial my reaction when I heard that was the name was like, oh, why isn't it Rob Liefeld? You know? God, yeah. Damn. It really was just one of those, like, breaking your, like, any of, like, hope or illusions or happiness that you may have left. That, you know, that is Brian Wood of all the people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so... 
you know, I, I've done the digging, so I see the, I've seen the two accusations, um, the, the two um, recounting of what happened, um, and both seem to have happened like a decade ago. It, like, would you agree with that? Like, the one seemed to happen like um, 2002. Um, Fowler's, I was a little bit more confused as to like the time frame. I haven't tried to map it out, but I do think yeah, one of them was very much like this happened X Y Z ago because I was. Um, yeah, she hasn't been working in the industry since then. So. Yeah, so, I mean, and I'm not defending him. He's a dick and treated women horribly. I mean, is it possible that he had a horrible attitude back in the day and he's come around a little bit? That and would I'm not, be possible. But, and I, yeah. but, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> well, I was going to say, possible, so I, But his apology I, doesn't make it seem like that's the case. Because his apology is not an apology. Yes, like, what and that's what I was going to say was like, yeah, sorry, okay, so I have to give you credit for it, for getting that. Because, yeah, like, if he actually apologized, but here's the other thing. The reason why it came up now is because there were women who were complaining to Tess now. Right. I, I don't know if it's this year or if it was, like, two years ago, but, like, the fact that she was getting people writing to her about this happening to them makes it seem like it must be a more recent problem, basically. I mean... Yeah, I'm, I'm not. Emerged. Yeah, and then I'm not. Even if it was a long time ago for her, the fact that other people were like telling her this now makes it seem, and not they were telling her this like before she, you know, actually said the name. Yeah. So it makes it seem to me like it's not just something that was just ten years ago as well. Yeah. So I mean, she when she initially wrote about this, um, kind of just talking about the issue as a whole on bleeding cool, she didn't mention his name. Um, the reason she came forward is she said that she got a lot of stories, horror stories from other women who had the same experiences with him. She hinted like there was multiples, like three or so or four. Um, I think she might have said three at one point, um, which is why she finally just said, you know, enough is enough. And it also came off of something where, like, Wood said something about, um, you know, I'm sorry, come off like a dick sometimes at conventions. And that set... Tess Fowler off and was like, no, you're just a dick. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that is that is my only hope is that he has learned over the years and over a decade has not, has maybe learned some lessons or grown up or done, you know, slightly different. But yeah, his excuse, and I can actually read it. So here, here's his actual statement um, and why I agree with you that he, even if he has changed, he still doesn't get it. Um, so his, his statement is, for the last couple of weeks, I've been accused of a lot of serious things. I feel I have to speak up for myself and for my friends and colleagues who are finding themselves under a sort of scrutiny they don't deserve. The situation reached the point where it is affecting people who in no way deserve it, up to including my family. Tess Fowler is correct about this. I did make a pass to her at San Diego Comic-Con Hyatt Bar roughly eight years ago, but when she declined, that was the conclusion of the matter for me. Uh, there was never a promise of quid pro quo, no exertion of power, no threats, and no revenge. This was at a time in my career when I had very little professional power or industry recognition. Um, the pickup was a lame move, absolutely, and I'll accept the heat for having done it, and that's all it was. I liked her, I took a chance, and was shot down. Immediately regretted it, and I apologized to Ms. Fowler for the tackiness and embarrassment of all. I've kept quiet for these last couple weeks because this is a problematic thing uh, to address without unintended blowback. While I believe she is incorrect as she can be about what my intent and motivations were, I don't want to encourage any negative opinion directed back at her. Uh, I think the larger issues of abuse in the comic industry are genuine. I share everyone's concern as a father to a young daughter uh, showing an interest in making her own comics. I do really care about this stuff, so I want uh, our difference of accounts to take attention away from that industry-wide discussion that needs to happen. And his follow-up to the other person whose name is Anne Sher Sherbina. Sorry if I'm saying that wrong. Um... In her things, uh, Brian Wood's response to her is, I saw your tweet. I don't recall much of our interaction. Just the drink-ups and casual flirting. But I apologize for making you uncomfortable in anything I did. And then he later also followed up saying, Hey, Anne, my recollection was I wasn't in a relationship during those drink-up days. She seems to be a theme that he was in relationships uh, when this happened. Um, but so he was saying, so my recollection was I wasn't in a relation, wasn't in a relationship during those drink up days. 
that was sort of the point of all my WEF drinking, which was the drink-up thing, uh, was that I had ended a long relationship in 1999 or so. My next one wasn't until late 2002 or so. But I don't recall the date of our incident exactly. I also felt like our attraction was mutual, but perhaps not. I thought we didn't end up fooling around at that moment so because I was in a public place or it was in a public place. Uh, supply closet thing was my dumb, it was a dumb error. I didn't name you, but I also didn't know that you were only one in DC employee who ran the storeroom, which I heard about later. I should have tracked you down then and apologized, but I had no idea you got in trouble or it had gotten you in trouble. I'm sorry about that now. Um, so no matter what, his apologies are very tone deaf. Yes, like they're very tone deaf. tone deaf. But they're not just tone deaf, they're tone deaf in a way that makes it seem like he, un- like he knows the kinds of critiques people are going to have. They're like studied and tone deaf. Yeah, so, so which I kind of worked. <laughs> oh, yeah, so I want to say it was like pull the bias. Yeah, I mean, it's weird, and I, I will first admit that I was an asshole back in the day. A decade ago, I was not the same person, um, and absolutely not the same person. I was absolutely an asshole to people, and I realized I was an asshole to people. Um, and when I can, I've I've apologized to folks. Um, so this is so like something I understand in that as that I was not as horrible as some of the shit he did, um, but I was definitely not the same person. So like I understand growth over a decade, but the same point is like it, there's I don't, it's it's weird. There's like this everything that he said. I feel like there's more to the story that he's not giving. Um, but I'm just I feel like I'm reading into it and just hoping for the best. Like, he was going through other stuff at the time? I don't know. And it's not an excuse. That's the thing with his wife or his girlfriend or whatever. That's their problem. The pro- yeah. Our problem, our problem as, like, fans is, like, how this relates to work and women and yeah. work. And him saying he didn't have any power in the industry at that point is not true. He, I mean, he had less then than he does now, but when you look at his resume, he was a published comic artist, she wasn't a comic book writer. She was not at that phase in her career, you know. Um, he was someone who had who who was was like respected and known, and she wasn't someone who people knew yet. There was a power imbalance there, and networking is like a key part of any you know any job, and especially anything in the arts and media. And those kinds of relationships are, I'm sorry, proper relationships are like central to how you get work. And it's that work sort of extraction. And it's completely inappropriate to hit on a woman in those situations with the power differential that's going on there. But that's like, you know what, like I get it that people do stuff like that. What's completely beyond inexcusable is then talking about her after she said no, whether it's yeah. like joking about her saying no or if it's basically saying, oh, I wasn't interested in your work anyway. That is trying to extract sex out of someone under, like that. that's what that is. Um, you know, that's like trying to extort that from her, like through professional, you know, I mean, that, that's just what's the most disgusting and scary part of it. That's the kind of behavior that leads to, you know, what, what Willow, um, Julia Wilson wrote in her place about, like, how she saw how many women, you know, went along with those things, and, of course, none of them ever benefited from it because, like, that's just getting yourself exploited, right? Um, yeah. But that just makes me so upset. And it's like, you know what, your problems with your wife, that's your problems with your wife. Don't, don't go and get sidetracked about that. That's not, like, and him, for him to deny that he had any power in the industry at that point in time, it's, like, ridiculous. With yes. Family, no, but compared to her, did he have power? Yes, he has connected. She was not. Yeah, so around this time, to put it in context is he, so if it was about 2002-ish, um, he would have produced, at this point, he would have been like an up-and-comer um, and would have been one of the hot the hot creators. So he was yeah. doing Couscous Express, Couriers, he was doing covers for Global Frequency, um, doing some work with Warren Ellis, Channel Zero is yeah. what came off of. Um, so he definitely wasn't in the power he is now, but he would, he would have been like the hot creator that everyone would have been kissing his ass. Exactly. Um, He was someone who she needed to have like her. Yeah. Yeah. You know, especially since like, I mean, and that's, 
And you know, this, I, like, with, I, you know, not in comics because I don't actually work in that professionally. But I've totally had guys who try to hit on me in professional situations, and when I have been remarkably gracious in turning them down because I, you know, I, I, I sort of view them as like awkward children who don't know how to behave themselves. I've still had them be dicks afterwards, and I wanted, and I've been like, dude, I did you a favor by not shaming you, and you're going to be a dick, really. That's just amazing to me. You should just, you know, like hide your shame after I allowed you to gracefully tell. Like that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be glad that I didn't embarrass you publicly. Be glad about that. But instead, you're going to like not respond to work-related emails now. This is shit that guys do. This is not stuff that women. This is not stuff that dudes experience. You know, um, I, I I definitely see like a ton of commenters being jerks on message boards. All you know, dudes, of course. I of course, have yeah. not. I have not seen, like, I have not seen other creators run to his defense, although I've heard people say that that's happened, but I have not caught that. Um, I understand why some creators who have worked with him and are friends with him might not be speaking right now publicly. Uh, They need to talk to him first, but I hope that eventually people will, like, like, I understand that, like, when you have a real personal outside relationship with someone who's done something bad, like that you deal with that with that person first. But I would imagine and hope that as things progress, you will have more creators also speaking on this as well, like and saying that this is a problem in the industry and what he did is not okay. Um, so, okay, so he's about he was about thirty when the, when some of this was going down. Um, so he definitely should have been known better. Um, it wasn't like he was some like twenty. Too. Yeah, he wasn't like some twenty year old punk kid. When I was an asshole, I was in my young twenties and drinking. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm a little bit different post thirty. <laughs> when I saw that, I was like, yeah, Fuck, yeah, I, I was I, an adult at thirty. Ima- <laughs> I can't imagine. I can't imagine that sort of like catty. Like I just, I can't imagine you being like, oh, you didn't go out with me, so now I'm gonna tell people that your work's no good. Like it doesn't, it doesn't stand up for something. I can't imagine. Well, it's weird yeah. that there's a pattern to it. Like it's very high schoolish um mm-hmm. and and the like i'm going to ask you out you're going to say no to me and now i'm going to talk shit about you it's just that it's something you experience yeah. in high school it's very mm-hmm. arrested development but so it's also, which, that is totally how you extract sexual favors like that is how you do it because there's this threat out there to your reputation yeah well I mean, okay so this is weird as a whole um in that in the industry has a fucking problem. Like, I've seen, and it's a story that I have, and I hinted at it on the blog at one point with, like, an overheard, and it wasn't even overheard. It was a I saw. Um, there is a massive issue in the industry of creators getting really drunk or doing the sort of shit at conventions, and folks either not calling them out or not handling it. And I'm thinking, like, and and this is the talent, so go with me on this one, and, and you're going to sit there and kind of see where I'm going. So in, in Hollywood, you've, you've got actors who are completely out of their fucking minds and do horrible things, but at the same time, they have you know press people and handlers and people at the studio who, yeah, some of it might indulge, but they also sit there and be like, are you freaking crazy – you know, you you have to, you know, if you're some, you know, deviant, you do it in your bedroom. You don't go out and you do stuff out in the public. You know, the, there are people who watch, who watch and are in charge of someone's public image. In the comic industry, there's no such thing. Like, there's no thought of this is the talent. They represent the company. They represent these characters. You know, we need to watch over them. So the the story I've got is at San Diego Comic Con. So like two or three years ago, I was at a party at one of the bars, and we were—I was hanging out with some some friends, and we were having a, a good time. And there was one girl that I was talking to, who was part of the group, and she was saying like, "Oh crap, X creator is here." And I was like, "What? What's the deal?" And she's like, "He gets drunk all the time, and he just hits on women, and he ogles them, and stares at them, and stares at their chest, and it's really freaking uncomfortable." And no one come, you know, calls him out to the point where this creator, like has trouble standing he's such an alcoholic and you know, gentle jackass and I was like come on he can't be that bad and over the night I watched this as this guy was like literally he would stand there 
wobbling back and forth, staring at you know the you know the butt of a girl right in front of him, and being blatant about it. And he sees yeah. the girl that I'm hanging out with and goes over to her and he starts hitting on her and he's staring at her chest the entire time. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, where is this acceptable? And how is no one pulling him aside and being like, you need to go. You need to go upstairs. You need to sleep it off. This is totally unacceptable. And I'm thinking, like, in Hollywood, and I'm not saying, like, they're saints over there, but there's still an image thing where some handler would come up and be like, no, you need to go. We need to get you out of here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and, yeah, I mean, there isn't the money, so there isn't. There, they don't have the staff. There isn't the policing. It's ridiculous, though, that like you need to have a handler to do that. But you're right that that is why we hear less of that about Hollywood folks than you do about, you know, comic. I guess they don't. They don't have staff. There's no one managing. But you know what? This really proves how much the publishers need to do like a fucking seminar for their employees. And oh they yeah. Need to do it in, and they need to do them. And like, there's good programming and there's bad programming on this. They need to get some of the good programming on this. And they need to, like, teach them compassion because I do think that the first step is getting them men to realize that women are also human beings and that we are full people and to put themselves in our shoes. And I know that a lot of times they're like, well, I'd want to get hit on. I'm like, okay, sure, you do. Do you want someone who you're not attracted to to forcibly try to extract sexual favors from you? And then, and then think about it that way. Like, if they're always like, well, I wouldn't mind getting hit on. Like, no, 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 that's not the getting hit on part. You know what I mean? Not, not that hitting on someone is wrong, but the part which is going to make the guy realize how unacceptable this is is when he gets out of thinking about it in sex mode and thinks about it in power mode. And it's hard for guys to think about, like, being physically threatened and intimidated. And not threatened like, oh, I'm going to hit you, but threatened as in, like, you know, someone who's larger than you and is physically imposing over you. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I mean, not to say that, like, all guys are huge and haven't had people lumbering over them, but you know what I'm saying? Like, to sort of yeah. imagine yeah. themselves in our position. Um, and that's really the first step to identifying this. And see, I, about how do they want to be treated? Yeah, now, like, I've actually had that happen to me in politics by both men and women, um, putting some pressure on me. It's really fucking awkward. It's beyond awkward. And be, me being young, was fairly young at that point, also in the 20s, thankfully, you know, drinking. Uh... You know, every single time I was like, no, thanks, and kind of, like, walked away. But the whole time in my back of my arm, I'm like, how screwed am I career-wise by saying no? Um, right. And it's, it's really that's, weird. Yeah. It Like, I, yeah. That's I don't a even great know example. It's, it's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I mean, I've, I've had it happen, like, both women and men, and it is really freaking awkward and really strange and... Being a guy, you know, and a guy part of it, like, and it, it didn't happen a lot. I mean, I, I could count on it in one hand type of thing. Um, it's it's odd. Like, it, even as a guy where I'm sitting there, I was like, I, this is just strange. Um, so, yeah. We have I mean, to help, we, we have to, like, help, like, help teach guys, like, who are present and other people who are present, like, how to help in these situations, like, how to do a good extraction and how to call up guys on what they're doing and to tell them it's not acceptable and they have to cut it out. You know? Yeah, and that that's what's weird to me. Like, So, you know, I've, I've hung out with friends and I'm going to go back to the, the drunk jackass at the, the Comic-Con party. When my mm-hmm. friends get to that mode and we're out like a bar or we're out a club or whatever and when they got like that, one of us would grab the person and be like, okay, you, you need to go outside and grab some air and then we'd probably put them in a cab and send them home. Because yeah. that person, you know, not only ruined it for other people, it ruined our fun, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not, you know, it's just not something you want to be around. So, I like, I don't, it, it blows my mind that folks don't sit there and be like, wow, you're really drunk. I've seen it happen a couple times, but not too often. Usually folks just stand around talking about the drunk person, like, right in front of them without them noticing um, when they're doing this shit. And I've seen it a couple times. Like, we just stood around and be like, are you fucking kidding me? Um, but we also weren't in the position to t- go up to the person and be like, you need to, you need to go and sleep it off. Um, just because we didn't really know the person. So, I mean... It, yeah, I, you know, I, I mean, I think we have to have, we have to have a bit of a culture of, like, speaking out. I mean, that's really it. I haven't been at parties like that. I guess I... Uh, without 
before like late night drinking happens, and I like I'm weird because I'm going to panels because I actually want to see the content rather than like networking for professional reasons. So I do like I after like convention I like get a couple drinks and then I go home. And I so I don't I don't see I've never seen any of this myself um, when it comes to from the comics industry. But we have to be able to like teach people what to do and how to help each other. And yeah. We have to help just because there's this empathy gap where, like, these male fans just think they're entitled to everything, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, so there's the there's the two situations. So there's the, the out, which blows my mind, because usually when there's that person that's that drunk or that being that much of a jackass, someone, at least my friend, someone would speak up and be like, all right, you need to, you need to go because you're killing everyone's buzz. Um, the panel, like... It's or not a panel, but like someone go up and, and presenting their work and trying to pull off the shit that he was pulling off, uh, or trying to get away with, is I, like I don't even get it. Like how someone would have the guts enough to try that sort of pickup? Because it's and just, that is male privilege. Is they're, I mean, they're all entitled to anything they want from us, apparently. So I this has just been the most freaking depressing. I'm really excited that women are speaking who this has happened to. Yeah. You know, I, I'm happy to talk about, like, my experiences that haven't happened in the industry because I don't work in the industry, so this never happened to me. But, like, you know, like, my own stuff that I dealt with working in my field, you know. And to ask, you know, everyone to just, when someone comes forward with a story, like, don't question them. Don't ask them for a timeline. Don't, just let them tell their story. Yeah. And, just like, just like, just listen and be there, and like, I mean, they're just don't try to litigate it, you know. It's really, really ballsy for any of these folks to step up and and say what happened to them, and just don't question like, well, when did this happen? And maybe you heard it wrong. Like, just listen to them, and you know, if you feel like you don't care enough to feel like, oh, I'm convinced that this, whatever the other happened, keep that to yourself because the fact that they're speaking in the first place. Like, you don't do that unless there's real stuff that you have to speak out about. And even if it's not something that you yourself identified when you maybe were present when it happened, that is their experience, and the least you can do is not step on them when they're trying to tell what's happened to them. So, actually, I, I do have a serious question. I was, I was talking to my fiancé about this. So, you know, obviously this is a mat. you know, we will not look at his work the same way going forward or even thinking about his past stuff. And I'm thinking about other creators in the past who were horrible misogynists, like Hemingway, for example. Yeah. Yeah, how... And this is an honest question, because I'm right now kind of struggling with this, is how does this reflect his work? I mean, can you can you separate him being... him the jackass versus him the solid writer and the stuff that he puts out? Or oh, can well, you not separate the two? Well, let's put it this way. So I'm not going to buy stuff by him, period. Okay. But sure. I'm not going to say that the work that he did that I've enjoyed wasn't good. I mean, I, I, it does make you change your analysis of that work. So, mm-hmm. like, now knowing that, like, you know, his alleged feminism was rooted in hypocrisy, like, that does, I think, affect how you read what he's written, and you sort of view it as, okay, so this is more of an academic exercise for him than something which is actually like spiritually connected to how he views women. And that's something that impacts how you how the work is read, for sure. But I don't think that it suddenly is like, oh, like the stuff he did that I loved is bad. It's problematic, and I don't want to give him my money, but like, it, you, you see what I'm saying, though, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to burn the stuff I own. That doesn't help anyone and no. also burning shit is creepy but like <laughs> I, 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 say, I don't actually heard people saying they're going to get you know give, a, give away stuff like well then you're just popularizing it by giving it to someone else um but it just hit me how many freaking things he's writing that i read it's really yeah. ridiculous it felt really i i think that i maybe met him like for two seconds at once like i it's not someone who i really know but hearing but having this happen to a writer whose work I read so much of has felt really shocking and in a really personal way. That like, you know, when you hear that, like, Hitchcock was basically a rapist, you know, because he extracted sexual favors from mm-hmm. all of his starlets in ways that were completely controlling and on. Cause, well, you know, Hitchcock's dead, and he died before I was born, you know. And um, any money that's made off of his art 
now was going to his grandkids and, you know, poor things, they survived, like, that bullshit that was being done, you know, in their household, so I don't begrudge them that money. Um, it's different when it's an artist who's, like, a living artist whose work you experience now. It feels really crushing. I was really, really sad and really upset when I heard this. And I was just like, you know, when I first heard there was something that was going to be speaking out, I was just knocking on wood, like, please let this not be someone whose work I like. And it wasn't just someone whose work I like, it was somebody whose work I like and who I had thought of as being feminist. Yeah, I mean, so, awesome. I mean, to, to you it feels like it's a personal betrayal. Personal betrayal, yes. Not yeah. like it is someone who actually lives through that, but yeah, like as a fan it feels very personal. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, he's he's written some great stuff and some very female empowering stuff. Um, so yeah, no, I, I, I can totally see that. Yeah. I mean, like, that's the thing I'm struggling with. Like he, he's, he's, he does write some fantastic stuff, massive Conan, um, uh, X-Men, which is probably the weakest. X-Men is not fantastic. It's good. It's good. I was I said it's the weakest, but still, (laughs) you know, decent. Um, massive is great. And I think Conan's fantastic. Massive, massive is one of the best things out there. And like, Oh well, that's it for yeah, me. Yeah, and like I loved his his channel zero and um, uh, DMZ is still one of my favorite series. Um, Northlanders is fantastic. Like it, it, you know, the list goes on and on. Hell, New York Four is a mass in New York Five is massively emp- female empowering two two stories. Um, they were great. And I'm struggling how you know. Going forward, how can I read his stuff without this in the back of my mind? I mean, you can't, it's always going to be in the back of your mind. It's always going to color how you read the text. It doesn't mean that his writing wasn't so amazing. It's going to color how you read it. That's all. And I choose to not give him my money. That's it. Like, and, you know, I, I feel like, we should, we didn't really talk about it, so like, I don't know, should we just like not review his stuff because we don't want to promote it? I mean, that's, you know, I, I, I mean, that's pretty much all I can think of in terms of, like, my own power with, um, with regards to this. I am really curious to see, like, how the publishers are going to start handling this. I don't know if there's going to be, like, a broader call. The boycott, I can't, he can't be the only guy. I want to know, like, who, I mean, I, I know he can't. Shit, there's whatever the guy is you saw and you're, you know, like, I want to know who's doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I want it luckily the, you know, is it luckily the guy that I, I saw doing this, you don't read his stuff. You don't read his stuff. <laughs> I appreciate that. I was like, why is this Jim Lee or Rob Liefeld? God, really, like, so along the list of people I would have expected this from, like, really far down, like, it wouldn't even, I mean, just shock. Interestingly, yeah. there was a guy, his name escapes me, who was a guy who had been tweeting about how much he hates him for being a sexist, like, like weeks ago. It was sort of random. And I was like, why do you know? That? I mean, I don't know. This guy had just been like a drinking buddy and was there for that much aware. I don't remember who it was on Twitter, but it had a whole diatribe about problems with him. But I don't know. Anyway, just, you know, reminder to our listeners, like when someone speaks out, listen to them. Don't yeah. question yeah. and challenge them and say, but what about this and what about that? You know, and that it's not like in an, you know, and that like someone can mess up and ask for forgiveness, but what he did was not an ex- admission and acceptance of him doing something wrong. You know, and, and also, to me, like, to me that bothers me a lot is that his he acknowledges it or at least he acknowledges some of it. But he doesn't at any point apologize for any of it. No, and he doesn't. He told us one of those, I'm sorry if I made you feel like I was. Like, this is not an apology. It's like saying, oh, I'm sorry you're upset, but not, I'm sorry I did something that upset you. And I'm thinking to myself, is like, what happens if he just came out and been like, you know what? This happened. I was an asshole. I'm not the same person I was a decade ago. And that's it. Yeah, I mean, apparently he is a thinker. He was a decade ago based on some stuff we're hearing rumors of. But, like, but yeah, exactly. And and I would say go beyond that and say, like, here's the steps I'm going to take to make sure this doesn't happen to other people or, like, something like yeah. that would really make someone yeah. an ally. And, you know, 
Yeah. Yeah. It's Pressing. A, yes, it is. Very. But inspiring that the women are kids, that these women have spoken out. That's freaking ballsy, you know. Good for them. It's great and they are. It's I, not it's great they are. without them, people like that doing things. Uh, so on a positive note, for women, um, I'm going to plug it and try to turn it into a positive thing. Uh, on the site on Thursdays, we're running a ongoing series of, called Women of Boom, and it features a female staffer of the company, because about 6% of their staff is women. So we are talking, yeah. interviewing every single one, no matter the position. And, uh, we're going to keep on running that every Thursday. So we're going to run out. And part of the questions we deal with is harassment. I'm sorry, can you say that last thing again? I didn't hear it. Uh, I was going to say, so uh, that's part of the we deal with harassment and is one of the questions. We get their I would just say that if you ask a woman if she's dealt with harassment in the industry and she says that she hasn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that she hasn't. It means she doesn't feel comfortable talking about it now. Actually, all the answers we got so far are very honest. Very honest. Very it's honest. If they haven't seen it directly or haven't seen it directly, or they know stories, or they're all very honest. They're all very honest so far. That's awesome. I mean, and yeah, Bloom is definitely leading the way in terms of staffing because that's like awesome. And yeah. Something you need to yeah. do more of. So. And that's part of the reason yeah, we started. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really great. Looking forward to reading them. I've enjoyed the ones I've seen so far. But let's let's make the house that isn't going to make me completely depressed. Um, I am looking forward to. I know that in our next episode we're going to talk about Helly Sue DeConnick's what I think is very very awesome new comic, Pretty Deadly. Um, but I believe we wanted to talk in this. Speaking of women, right? But I, but um, I believe we wanted to talk about three in this in this episode of the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Awesome. Um, three is probably the world's least easy to hashtag or communicate name for a comic book series. I actually was talking with Ryan Kelly, the artist at uh, after Comic Con, and I was saying we can look at the hashtags for you guys. He said, oh, I didn't even thought about that. So I suggested they use three comics, um, but I did a little search online, and I'm not seeing anyone actually using that hashtag. So we'll have to get started. You think they probably just do the number three in the word comic, um, even though the title of the comic is spelled out. We've got to conserve our letters. Three is a historical fiction based on historical facts comic um, that shows the perspective of Spartan slaves um, who are trying to escape from their oppressors who are trying to kill and massacre them. Um, I don't know if folks probably are are familiar with Frank Miller's uh, graphic novel 300, which talks about the uh, Spartans' um, 300-man defense of their city of Sparta from the Persians, and the Pelopon- is it Peloponnesian War? Thanks. Yeah. Um, and it's all very much valorizing the West and the West is rationality and, just, and, and, and freedom and all that. And at no point does it recognize, one, that there is not equality and freedom when you have a massive slave system. And the Spartans were particularly brutal, particularly brutal um, in their slave system. And that... I mean, there were a lot of things that the Persians were doing better than the Spartans. The Persians certainly had a more diverse uh, culture and were less like, oh, we were born here and therefore we're better than you attitude. Um, they were more polyglot and multi-ethnic and blah, 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 blah. You know, they're both warring, warring groups of people fighting, over, you know, fighting resource wars. None of them are actually high-minded, idealistic worth modeling ourselves after war embracing in any way, shape, or form. Um, so it really, I have to, I, you, you saw the movie 300 as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. My only my comment about the movie 300 was that we only watched it as a riff tracks, which is basically you get these downloaded these tracks where Mike 
uh, and the comedians who did Mystery Science Theater 3000 are making like make fun of the movie as you watch it. And even just watching 300 as it's being made fun of by awesome comedians in this P3K style, the movie was still so racist, I could barely stomach it. And that's the racism that's put on top of all the Frank Miller bullshit. Like, this movie itself is freaking racist and homophobic, which is ironic given the Spartans had male-male sexual relationships established as part of their social structure. Um, but God forbid they should show any of that because that might get rid of some of the macho allure for today's, you know, testosterone addled e-bags. Um, so when I heard they were doing this comic that was talking about, hi, remember those slaves? Here's their story. I just thought that was brilliant, you know, a, a, great, a great way to sort of turn the story and show the other side of it, educate people about history. And, of course, because these are fantastic artists and one of my favorite writers around, I knew it would also be entertaining. And I think I was right. What do you think of the comic? Um, so the first, yeah, issue, the first issue I thought was pretty, I I thought thought it, was pretty, pretty it was good it wasn't it great, was good. It wasn't great. Um, the second um, issue I thought was much better yeah but overall I, 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 I think you, you nail it it's like it's a nice I'm trying to think it through trying to think it through <laughs> it's it's a nice take on history, nice take and it's history, different and than different what three hundred present really and not very accurate, not very accurate, and left a lot out. Yeah. Left a lot out. Yeah. Well, I think it was thought out, but it was thought out with like it's like propaganda art, and there's nothing yeah. wrong with propaganda yeah. art if people recognize it as propaganda art. I don't think that people necessarily understood it that way, but I also do think that even as propaganda art, three hundred had a duty to acknowledge certain things. And I think 300, the movie, certainly did not have to be racist. It could still have been like Rah Rah Sparta without being racist. Even though the Spartans themselves, a lot of their Rah Rah-ness was rooted in their own racism. And certainly, like, you know, Hitler actually modeled a lot of things off of Spartan culture. But, but you know what I'm saying. Like, you could have made art about this topic that was not racist. They chose to have a racist movie nonetheless. Um, uh, yeah, you know, Ryan Kelly's art in this is definitely different in style than his work from Saucer County. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I really like Saucer mm-hmm. County stuff because it was like, I swear, like some of the only drawings of women in comics who actually look like women who also look like they have work and jobs and stuff, like actual realistic, but, you know, beautiful lines as well. Um, I feel like I feel that this is a bit more rough and sketchy in this book, uh, but I think it kind of suits it. There's a little bit of a... I feel like there's a little bit of a Grecian influence in the styling a bit. Um, I like that my my pet things, as you know, the characters have different faces from each other. I can tell them apart by looking at their faces. That's very unusual. And it's also very necessary because a lot of people are wearing the same clothing. Um, So bravo on having art that is not lazy and sloppy. Uh, I felt like the dialogue could sometimes be a bit performed in the way it was being read, especially in the first issue, but the second issue gets a lot better with that. I do think the second issue is a lot better than the first, but the first is still good. Um, and I think it's definitely a comic to keep following. I learned a lot, um, and I'm someone who's listened to a fair number of podcasts on these topics, so I felt like I learned a lot without feeling like I was being lectured or anything like that. I also enjoyed the interview at the back of issue two that Karen did with one of the professors who he's been researching the subject with. Um, I thought that was a nice touch at the end. Um, and, I, you know, like there really aren't historical comics like this out. There aren't many people even dealing with historical subject matter that isn't from, like, a really classically covered by genre fiction era, really, you know? There isn't really much done on this period. So I think it's really unique on that. But even if you have no interest in whatsoever in, you know, Greco-Roman history or anything like that, um, it's still a good read. But I do think that it's probably a comic that will most appeal to people who have a bit of a history about to them. Yeah, I mean, like, the the first issue... It was good. Like, was I, good. Like, I read I, it, and I, I was kind it, of like, all right, this is like, interesting. Like, right, this is interesting. And I kept on comparing it to and every 
and it's the second issue that really happened. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, um, but, yeah it, it's yeah, good. It, 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 I'd like to see more I'd of this type of stories. Yeah, definitely. And I really am going to send this to my Kelsey and tell my, my dad who's a huge history buff and and my husband, oh, my husband's so crazy to say my husband, um, who's been the one listening to a lot of those podcasts about the period as well that these are supposed to they need to check out. Um, do you want to talk about the new Sandman? Yes. Let yeah. me hear what you have to say. Well, for folks who don't know, which I think are a few of them. Um, there's finally new Sandman stuff, and Neil Gaiman, with art by J.H. Williams III, who's one of the best comic book artists of all time, literally one of the best of all time. Um, I couldn't have been more excited about that. The first issue is not like everything I've dreamed of. Haha, <laughs> dream, Sandman, get it? But it's really strong. Um, and I'm really excited to see what's next. I'm very interested in the plant world that they began painting in the beginning of the issue. Um, I had forgotten that, like, the whole way he invents the species, the plant species. Um, you know, it's funny because when I first skimmed through it, I was like, oh, look at those monsters. And then I actually read it. I'm like, oh, they're not monsters at all. That's freaking smart. I love how they do this very sort of relativistic um, art in a lot of Sandman books. Like things, you know, like, oh, so this reads this way to your culture, but in this other culture that we're displaying, it actually means something completely different. Like I think that they play with that a lot in Sandman historically, and it was cool to see that kind of reemerge. Um, and the world building was neat. And the cliffhanger at the end of the issue, I'm certainly, you know, what I really need to see what's next. I, I was a little bit disappointed with the cover. I feel like Jake Williams covers are some of the best covers in comics of all time, and this cover was still great, but, like, it was a 9 and not a 10, and I feel like a, maybe a jerk saying that, but, you know, I expect, like, 11s and 12s from, on a scale of 1 to 10 from J. Williams. but um, the big pull-out spread was really, really quite nice and fancy. Um, and I had forgotten, actually, that this whole series was supposed to be a, pre, a prequel. I had thought this was going to be starring Daniel, the new Sandman. I, I didn't remember this was all supposed to be how Sandman got to be structured in the first place. So that was sort of a surprise to me in a narrative way as well. What did you think? Okay. My issue is I've never issue. read the original What? Yep. Yep. How? Yeah. Yeah. So the first so issue, the first issue is incoherent to me. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Okay, so that's I'm sorry, you're breaking up. I was uh, I was like I didn't get the first issue at all. Since I never read, right? Right. Yes. If you have not read Sandman, there is no way this comic will make any sense to you. Now, I don't think you need to go out and read all of Sandman. I think that you just sort of have to read some basics and you would be fine with it, you know. Um, one of the things that we registered for, for our wedding, actually, was basically every Sandman tree paperback that we didn't already have. We, didn't, we did not have most of them. So I've been slowly getting in all the Sandman tree paperbacks and um, – I actually realized I have never read the entire series issue by issue. I've read the vast majority of it, but I have not read every issue. So now this is my opportunity to go and read it all. I don't think you need to have even read the majority of Sandman to appreciate the new series. I, I do think that as a comics fan, if you like Sandman at all, you should read the entire series because it is one large holistic piece of art that has to be understood you know, together as its own statement. But um, if you're someone who's just really eager to be able to keep up with this as it comes out, I think if you read the first trade paperback, Fields and Nocturnes, um, and the second, I think if you could read the first trade paperback, maybe even just the first, you would have enough of a grounding in the Sandman world to be able to read and appreciate the new series. But just go ahead and read the whole darn thing. Maybe what you should do is read through book one, and then pick up this, this first issue and maybe read the new issues 
parallels as you're reading the rest of the series. That might be the solution, I think, for folks who haven't read the series. But, um, you know, Sandman is such a series that was a gateway drug to comics for so many of us. Um, you know, for me, Sandman was the first comic that I read that wasn't X-Men or X-Factor. Um, and the X-Men and X-Factor stuff that I grew up reading was because I was throwing it for my brother. Um, Sandman was sort of the first thing that I got into that was on my own. And I just pulled one of them out of a bin at a comic book store when I was at writing camp. That's right, W-R-I-T-I-N-G, camp in Virginia. Um, and, you know, I saw the goth cover, basically, of one of the issues, and I was like, oh, this is something I have to get. Um, you definitely, Sandman is, you know, the first comic I give to a lot of my friends, especially my female friends who are interested in mythology and fantasy and cultural studies stuff, um, postmodernism, all a lot of that stuff. Like, this is definitely a good gateway first comic to give to a lot of your friends. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons why there's been so much public excitement about the new book coming out, is that it's, Sandman has been such a big gateway drug to comics for so many people, and a, a tool that so many of us use to introduce our friends to comics as well, especially the lady folk. So... So, um, you know, I guess what I would just say, Brad, again, is read the first paperback and then go and read the issues as they come out. So. Yeah. So yeah. the next issue, so I think, is in January. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try and go back to the original series. Yeah, yeah. You, I'm kind of embarrassed. I never did. I never did. Yeah. So, um, right. well, I guess we look forward to hearing your perspective uh, when you have a chance. So. Okay. What was the next yeah, uh, docket? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. All right. Uh, what, uh, which series are we going to review? Well, you know, I was heartbroken to hear that some of my favorite comics will be ending soon. Um, yeah. On top yeah. of everything else. Uh, I understand why Young Avengers is going to end. Like, I get that they have this specific story they wanted to tell and it had a specific ending place, and, you know, I, I, I can respect that. Um, but I, I feel like FF is ending a bit prematurely, and I'm really sad that Matt Fraction is leaving the book. You know, Young Avengers and, and FF have been the two books that I just can't wait to read every month that I pull out of my bag immediately that are, like, my main addictions and we're losing them both, and that really sucks. And it sounds like um, Wolverine and the X-Men is ending, too. Um, I really like the book a lot, although not as much as the others. I, I kind of feel like they've... There needs a shake-up. Like, I think that... I don't know if Wolverine and the X-Men needs to end, but I'm, I totally could see why Jason Aaron might want to step away from the book. I do think that there's an important space in X-Men land to have a book that takes place in a school, though, whether it's this or something else. But it, it seems like the whole inhumanity event is just taking everything over in ways that are just going to completely change what's available for us to read. Yeah, so yeah, Aaron leaving so the X-Men, X-Men is because he's going to be part of humanity. Yeah. I think there's going to be something to be I don't know what I it is. And I think I think, I think Storm's going to get the focus. Oh, cool. That would be my guess. Be She'll my become guess. the head mistress, and there'll be some new, some new sort of school or something. School or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Um, so we'll see. Like I, that ending makes sense, yeah, especially makes for sense. what they're going to be doing with Wolverine. With Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Um, him being the head of school doesn't make a lot of sense anymore. Yeah, I agree. I, there's, I can't follow this battle of the atom stuff. Like, I really can't follow it. I really don't know what the heck is going on. Um, it definitely makes it seem more and more clear like you can't have the um, Wolverine running it with everything else that's going on. Yeah, and the, yeah, the, the battle of the atom. I don't think it's going to factor in as much for Wolverine as that's been. They've announced there's going to be another reboot of Wolverine. 
and he's going to wind up working for, like, a low-rent crime boss and being, like, a pseudo-bad guy for a little bit. Yeah, like, so right now there's a storyline called Killable, and his power's on the fritz, kind of like in the movie, everyone's trying to kill him, and it's going to wrap up, and they've announced that there's this new series, so going on this new series that he's going to be kind of like a pseudo-bad guy, maybe you think he can't be head of the school. So it's going to be short-term. Why would they be so, I don't, uh, so many people who don't understand Wolverine, they need to be stopped. Oh, and yeah. here's something which is killing me. I just found out they're doing more Wolverine Origins, and as you know, I'm against Wolverine Origins, and guess who's going to be writing it? Yeah. Yeah. Karen Gillan. I never, like, I never, I never read the original. I never read the original. Well, it didn't happen. You know, they never did a remake <laughs> of The Wicker Man. I mean, that's a silly talk. There's only one movie from the 1970s, and it's fantastic. Uh, and The Warrior's Origin has never been told in a comic book form. So I don't know why they'd be calling something else Origins 2. That seems really confusing since the original one doesn't even exist. Uh, yeah, so here's uh, the release I was looking for. It's uh, Paul Cornell and Ryan Stegman are doing the new Wolverine. Um, it's a Wolverine that you've never seen before, working for a small-time supervillain. He's bloodied and left dead by Sabretooth. Logan is out for revenge, and he's going to get it any means necessary. Before he can take out Sabretooth again, he'll have to get better, stronger, smarter than ever before. And that's not as easy as he might have thought. Uh, and soon he'll find himself turning to darker, more sinister means than getting what he wants. All in the name of retribution. Even if it means you're operating on the wrong side of the law to do it. You can't see my eyes rolling, but my eyes are rolling. <laughs> However, Paul Cornell, I think, is a really great writer. Um, hmm. That's my one hope, is he's a solid writer, so. Yeah. Cross my fingers. Cross my have you been picking up any lead-up to Inhumanity stuff? Are you keeping up on any of that? Or? It hasn't started yet, so it's still um, Infinity is still going on, so once again, it's done, Inhumanity is You know, like I said, I'm really into the Inhumans, but it does seem like some of the story is kind of retready. Um, and it just feels weird that all my stuff's gotten hijacked so they can do this Inhumans thing. And so the theory behind there's a, cool, there's a lot of cool stuff coming in from Marvel soon, especially like the Silver Surfer, aka Doctor Who comics, which is coming up, and Elektra being in the lead. Lots of great stuff featuring women, but yeah, some yeah. of this stuff is a bit confusing to me that they're doing beyond that. So the theory in humanity is because Marvel doesn't have the right to the X Men as far as movies, they're setting up Inhumans to be their version of the X Men. So it's a movie tie-in for the long term. For the long term. Wow. Their characters are so different. You don't. The Inhumans are much, much harder to relate to. They're not people the way the X-Men are. You would really have to. They, they speak almost like Shakespearean and stilted language. You know what I mean? In like how it moves to a modern year. And I love the Inhumans. I'm sorry, admit a good chunk of the reason why is visually they look awesome. Um, but uh, I don't know if the Inhumans could be the X-Men. So the story, the story is that there was all these human tribes that they kind of blended into human society. And they've released the Terrigen Mist across the world to White Vados. So it's all these people who have been blended into human society that are now powers. So exactly like yes. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. We'll see. Where did you get the idea that this has been to do with the movie? Is that something you read somewhere, or is it just sort of something you extrapolated? It seems to be a pretty popular theory, but the other thing is they will be, there's talks of it in the movie down the road. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it makes sense. Like, they will never get that right to X-Men back. Yeah. I don't see... 
how you could ever like you shouldn't say those inhumans are different kinds of characters. They're not people in the same way that the excellent characters are people. Right. Yeah. They're a yeah. lot harder to relate to. And to me they're not yeah. those are visual yeah. concepts. They have to be visual concepts that I love, but they're not I think there's a reason why people don't really I mean, they're not as beloved, in part because they haven't been in as any comics, but they're sort of like niche, quirky characters, and I think it's partially because the visuals sell them. Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah. it's the way they're setting it up is very X-Men. You kind of have, yeah. have to read it. Yeah. It's weird to say, it's like, like, every storyline I've heard and every conversation I've had to see Marvel have about it, it sounds like the freaking X-Men. Like mm-hmm. A bunch of people bunch getting power randomly, and then society fears them, society loves them. It's the X-Men. It's the X-Men. Yeah. I just hope that Karnak continues to have a very, very big head. And that continue to call it Karnak the Shatterer. This is pretty much the best thing in comics. I think that to me will be the, the make or break of how they treat original and human beings in Yeah. I feel terrible saying that because this is totally me being like, I'm an old comic fan and I want things to stay the same and be unrelatable to new fans. But, like, there's, there's multiple lines of things happening, right? Like, I think, that, for example, this new Doctor Who-ish Overserker book should be done to be as accessible as possible to fans. I think that there should always be an X-Men book that's accessible as possible to new people and to young people. There should be, like, but there's a lot of different roles within, you know, they're publishing a lot of comics. So some of them can be for people who are old and geeky. And you have a higher appreciation for the work of Jack Kirby. Let's get to the bottom of it. I actually, I got to see it. I don't know if I mentioned this. I got to see the Jack Kirby exhibit. Um, that was a temporary exhibit at the museum on Lower East Side the other weekend. That's cool. I got to take so lots of pictures of neon Jack Kirby posters that were made in 1970s that if people loved me, they would buy for me um, because neon Jack Kirby drawings of Silver Surfer and Medusa is pretty much the coolest thing ever. Um, it was a small exhibit of um, drawings of his work, and including all the original drawings for this um, streetlight comic that he did that was autobiographical, like completely autobiographical. You know, like, I mean, he has lots of autobiographical stuff in his work, but like a literally an autobiographical comic of occurring up in the Lower East Side. All of it written and all of it, all the stuff that's being shown was like right in the Lower East Side, around the corner from where he grew up. Really made me happy to see tons of little kids in there um, checking out the comic work. Some of them didn't even seem to have any parents with them, so probably means that they're from the neighborhood, which is cool. Um, wandered into the comics place. I bought a really awesome Jack Kirby shirt that has a flying multicolored head in it because, you know, I'm a big fan of flying multicolored heads. Um, but yeah, I, the Jack Kirby Museum, you should definitely follow them on Twitter. I, his Jack Kirby's work is not on display in any art museum right now. Did you know that? It's only on really? display, like, really? yeah, the Smithsonian has, like, a copy of X-Men number one or, like, or like you know, whatever number one. There is history exhibits. Nowhere in any museum has his art displayed as art. There are a lot of art collectors who have his work, but they all have them sort of at their homes. And I was saying, like, well, how come none of them have wanted to, you know, put them in a museum? And it's like, well, no museum has decided to put them together in context. But we have these relationships with these collectors, and if we're able to raise enough money to have a space and have the kind of security that we need and things like that, archives and protection and things like that, then a lot more donors would come out and, you know, have expressed interest in having their work be a part of the part of the museum. So, yeah. I think we need to lobby the Smithsonian to do a comic book display. Well, if you have that, it's like just pop culture and history and stuff. They've just never done it as art. And if the pop yeah. culture history yeah. one also recognized it as art and had like art critics looking at how these compositions are done and their stylizations and things like that, 
then I think that would be great. But I don't want something that just talks about them as history. Well, so they did a great video game history where it was looking at it as art but also presenting it as evolution over the years, which could be very cool too. And it was in the the, um, modern portrait gallery. I forgot which one. One of of my friends who came with me to the show is someone who's only recently gotten into comics. well, I've been slowly getting her into comics, and she's, like, really, really getting into it now. And, um, you know, I was, she was asking me about, like, different visual innovations that Clitty had piloted, and I was trying to remember, like, who did invent motion blur lines, you know, in comics for when you're going to wind up and punch somebody. Things like that, like, a lot of these stylistic developments, you know, there's a lot to talk about. The, yeah, that would actually be really, really cool. We should yeah. lobby. We've got to lobby for this audience. I'm thinking that's a ticket. Yeah, why not, right? Yeah. yeah. I'll look at Jack so what, what is the thing that you saw running through? It's closed. It was only a pop-up for a week. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah but, they, you know, but they exist. Like, if you follow Jack Kirby Museum on Twitter and they have a Facebook page, like, they're trying to do a you know a permanent thing and get funding to do that. So you could support them that way. Cool. I will check cool. it out. I will check it out. Cross my fingers they come to the easy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's it for me for tonight. Um Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Lou. All right. For uh, right. talking shop with me about everything and looking forward to next week. We have a special guest next week, don't we? Yes, we do. Yes, um, we, do. we will have uh, the writer of the Fifth Beetle, of the Vet Fury. I'm going to mispronounce his last name, and I apologize. Um, so that's going to be very, very cool. I actually had a, a 45-minute interview conversation with him on Thursday that I need to write up, which I'm going to do tonight. So. It should be very cool. So we'll be talking Finn Beetle, which is an awesome graphic novel that comes out this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's going to be on the top of people's Christmas and Hanukkah lists this year. So I hope so. Talk about it. Yeah. Well, thanks, everybody. We will, uh, we will get to talk with you next week about it. Yeah, at our normal time. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Okay. So I guess that uh, Ed is going to wrap up this episode. Um, you can find us daily at graphicpolicy.com, and you can find us on various social networks. We're all at Graphic Policy on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. So with that, I'm Brett. I'm Ilana. And have a geeky week.